0: Our first Bible reading for tonight is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 29. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law.
1: Um, the second Bible reading for this evening comes from Matthew chapter 6, and verses 1 to 18. It's on page 1012 on this pew Bible, and on the screen. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. For if you forgive men when they have sinned against when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive men their sins your father will not forgive your sins when you fast do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting i tell you the truth they have received their reward in full But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you.
2: Okay, uh, well, why don't we take about... Let's turn to God in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we read your word... We pray that we might not just read it and hear it, but also be doers of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what are Christians impressed by? What are Christians impressed by? Or what have been the Christians you have been impressed by? Now, I'm asking this question this evening because the things that often impress us as Christians, the things we get impressed by, are not necessarily the things that impress God. Now, when I was a younger Christian, I was actually quite impressed by those great preachers, those charismatic preachers who preach to thousands of people. I was impressed by them. They preach with vigor and conviction and energy and excitement, and they get the Amen, brother, after every sentence. I've never heard that before when I preached. They get the preach it, brother, after every sentence. I never get it. They say, shut up. But I get impressed. I was impressed as a younger Christian. You see, the things that impress us are not necessarily the things that impress God because God looks at the heart. And so what are the things that impress you? What are the things that impress you? What are the things inside churches that impress you? Now, when you go to a church and it's filled with people, people who all sing, people actually open their mouth to sing, People actually show show joy and excitement who sing with their hands, a bit like this. When you go to a church like that, you get impressed, don't you? You get impressed. Now they're happy, they're joyful. They're singing. In our church, this was taken <laughs> about five minutes before six PM not today, about two months ago so what are you impressed by? You see, the things that impress us are not necessarily the things that impress God because God looks at the heart. So what are the things that impress you? Now, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the hospital to visit someone in the ICU. Now, when I approached the reception, I saw a lady and a guy there and and they asked me, so... So what are you here for? I'm here to see someone in the ICU. Now, in the ICU, you're not, you're not allowed in often if you're not the family. And so I said to them, I'm the minister at the church. And they looked at me funny. You know why? I was wearing a hoodie like this. <laughs> now, I'm sure if I dress like this <laughs> at the hospital, I'll be allowed in without a question asked. Now, a funny thing with this photo was I found this photo at a Halloween costume site. Interesting. Yeah? So if I did something like this that day, this is what it looks like, isn't it? I'll be allowed straight in. But I didn't do that. I was wearing a hoodie. But in fact, the lady there, she was actually quite nice. She was quite nice. She, she looked at me and she was surprised. And Sorry, not meant to say that yet. She was surprised. But she was quite nice. She said, so ministers these days dress like you, wearing hoodies, quite normal and i said yeah that's right so she was quite nice but the thing is the point still is the things that impress us or impress this world are not necessarily the things that impress god because god looks at the heart and you see that was the problem with the pharisees we've been thinking and reading about the pharisees throughout this sermon the sermon on the mount you see the pharisees were extremely impressive this was how they dressed impressive clothing they gave lots of money to the poor. People saw it. They, they prayed on the street corners, impressive prayers, and they fasted. And when they fasted, you know, because they will look sad that day. But you see what Jesus is saying in our sermon today. Jesus is saying, don't be impressed by that. Don't be impressed by that. Don't be seduced by that. Because what impresses God is not what we see, it's what's in the heart. And so that's why Jesus calls them hypocrites. You're hypocrites. Don't be hypocrites. On the outside, you look good. But on the inside, you're dark, you're evil, you're wicked, you're filled with decay and death. Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. And so Jesus says to them and to us as we read this word, don't be hypocrites, guys. Don't be hypocrites. Now, the word hypocrite actually comes from the Greek culture, the culture of theater performance. The hypocrite were the actors on stage. They would uh, change roles throughout the play by putting on different masks. And so they were called hypocrites. They were the actors. So hypocrites are the pretenders, those who are two-faced, those who are actors. And so Jesus is telling us, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Whatever's on the inside, let let that be the same on the outside. And so I want you to turn your Bibles to chapter 6, verse 1. This is the key verse for our passage today. It's the summary verse for our passage today. Jesus says in verse 1 Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so that's the summary verse of our passage. And Jesus, in our passage today, addresses three fundamental acts of Jewish piety He addresses giving addresses prayer, and also addresses fasting. So we'll look at all those three in turn. So firstly, Jesus talks about charity, about giving. Now, how might you be a hypocrite in giving? If you're giving, you're generous, aren't you? Isn't that a good thing? So how can you be a hypocrite? Well, you can be. Think about it. Look at how generous I am. Each week, when the offering plate comes around, I slowly take out my $100 bill, take it out slowly so that people can see. And just as I'm about to put in, I just wave it around a bit, just to make sure that people notice me. And then I drop it in slowly. You can't be a hypocrite in your giving, can't you? So that people can see. Or look at me, look at how holy I am. I sponsor three African kids. Just so you know that I sponsor three African kids, I'll put their photos on my front door, three of them. And when you arrive at my house, just in case you're, you're worried that you arrived at the wrong house, I'll put my photo next to them. You see how generous I am? I'm sponsoring three kids. And so Jesus is saying, your generosity can all be fake, all be for show. It can be impressive, can't it? But Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be impressed by that. Because the things that impress us are not necessarily the things that impress God, because God looks at the heart. And so look at verse 2 with me now. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by men, I tell you the truth they have received their reward in full, now if I am giving to seek the praise of men if I'm giving to impress others, well Jesus says that's all fake and when people see you giving, if you see me giving and you praise me you say what a generous guy, what a generous bloke, someone should marry him that is my reward in full. The praise of men is my reward in full. No, nothing left from God. And so I want you to think, does this still happen today in our church, in society today? Do people give to be seen? Do people give to impress others? Oh, well, it does, doesn't it? The Pharisees are alive and well today. The Pharisees are alive and well today. You see, we may appear to be generous in our giving, however that might be. But I actually wonder if people will give as generously as they, do, as they do if they are not recognized for it. Think about that. If people are not recognized for how much they give and what they give, will they give as much? And so think about that. If your name doesn't appear anywhere, if your name does not appear, sorry, don't know what's happening there, but... If your name does not appear on the ward of the hospital, this ward of the hospital was donated by John Smith, would you be as generous? If your name does not appear on those little plaques at the back of concert halls, the seats or the, the plaque at the back of school seats, some schools, you have your name, this, was, this chair, this seat was donated by so-and-so. If it doesn't appear, if it won't appear, would you be as generous? And what about each year? You know, on Good Friday, we have the Good Friday appeal to, to the Royal Children's Hospital, a worthy course, worthy cause to give to. But have you noticed when it's on TV um, and you hear the guy on TV saying, Bob Jane from uh, Campbellwell is donating $100. But if we announce it on TV, that person will double it. It's all fake, isn't it? I'm giving to impress others. And so Jesus says, don't be impressed by that. That's all fake. That's all putting our show. That is acting. That is being a hypocrite. And so listen to what Jesus says, verses three and four. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, when you give, when we give, we should not give for the purpose of impressing others. In fact, we should not even give for the purpose of impressing ourselves. Mate, how generous was I? How generous was I there in giving that much away? You see, we can just give to impress others, but we also give to impress ourselves. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Instead, when your right hand gives, don't even let your left hand know. They didn't even let yourself know. And so the teaching here is to give, and when you give, forget about it. Give Forget about it. Give with a generous heart. Pray that God will use that gift for the purpose that it was given for. And then forget about it. Don't remind yourself how generous you are. Don't remind yourself how good you were. Forget about it. Give and then forget. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You see, there's a reward. Now, often Christians get confused by what this reward is. Some Christians think, if I give God a hundred bucks... He's going to return a thousand bucks to me somehow. But that's not the reward, you see. The reward is related to the gift, the reward is related to the activity. And so, the reward for giving to the poor is that the poor is cared for, that the poor is provided for, that the money won't be wasted, that they'll be um, given food and water and shelter. And if that happens, well, that's the reward. And if your gift is towards gospel work, then the reward is that gospel work happens when gospel work is proclaimed. If the gospel is proclaimed and people are brought into the family of God and the Christians are built up, if that happens with your money, well, that is the reward. You see, the reward is related to the giving, to the activity. It's not that you get something else. And so Jesus says here in our first first topic here, Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be an actor. Don't be two-faced. Because the things that we get impressed by are not necessarily the things that impress us God. Now, secondly, Jesus speaks about prayer. Prayer. How might you be a hypocrite in your prayer life, in your public prayers? How does that happen? Isn't prayer just between us and God, me and God? In, In Sunday school today, we taught the kids, when you're worried, just shoot a prayer. A narrow prayer to God. Isn't that what prayer is? How can you t- twist that into something something that's hypocrisy? <clears throat> Where well, when you pray like this, Oh Lord, oh Lord, I pray with such intensity. That is so unusual and so normal. And I'm praying like that to impress you, to show you how intense of a person I am. And I'm sure you're in, you're impressed if I do pray like that. Or if I pray like this, we praise thee, O God, we acknowledge thee to be the Lord, all the earth doth worship thee. We pray thee with, uh, that, oh, I'm getting confused, <laughs> by, we pray that we might walk in thy laws which thou hast appointed for us. Now, I'm not sure if you noticed what I was trying to say there and not, not get confused by all that. But there's actually nothing wrong with praying with Elizabethan English. Nothing wrong at all. If you want to use the the and there, nothing wrong. I'm, I'm sure some of you grew up with the King James Version, and that's how you've read the Bible, and so that's how you pray. But the, the thing is, when the church gathers and the church prays together, the church is actually meant to say amen together, which means, yes, we believe that is true. And so those who grow up with you know the, the Aussie English will find that hard to understand, The thee and thou and thy, what, what is all that about? And so praying that way in public can be impressive. I can pray that way. But if you don't understand, it's hard to get your amen. It might sound reverent. It might sound very reverent. And I can do that. I can impress you in that way. But it can all be show. Or I can pray this way. We praise the triune God, who is the Lord of the ecclesia, and we praise God who became a, praise Christ who became a propitiation for our transgressions and propitiated the wrath of the Father that we may be animated in the eschaton. <laughs> I had to sort of read that because it's so hard. Now I can impress you with my big theological words, can't I? Impress you in a big way. Impress you with my precision in my theology. But then I'll make it, make it hard for you to say amen to, won't I? And it can all be shown. And so what does Jesus say? Verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corner to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. You see, when you pray to impress others, and they praise you for it, they praise you after your prayer, uh, you, you pray it with such intensity. I was so impressed by that. Well, that is your reward. And that is all. I I really appreciate your prayer with those Elizabethan romantic words of reverence. If they say that to you, well, that is your reward in full. You pray with such theological precision. I loved it. Didn't understand any word you said, but I loved it. You receive your reward in full. And so our public prayer life, praying as a church, in our growth groups, as groups here and there, Our public prayer should be an overflow of our private prayer. You see, if my public prayer is long and eloquent, fervent, but my private prayer life is short, all dot points, even non-existent, then there's something seriously wrong with that, isn't it? So our public prayer must be an overflow of our private prayer. And so how should Christians pray? What should Christians do? Well, have a look at verse 6. We close the door and we open our hearts. So when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, God is not impressed. God sees into our hearts and he's not impressed by show, being two-faced, being an actor. God is interested on in what happens on the inside. God is interested on our hearts. God longs for us to pray genuinely, with sincerity. A heart that longs for mercy. A heart that recognizes, I'm a wretched sinner and I need to be forgiven. A heart that hopes in the hope of eternal life that God offers. And so God says, in a sense, close the door, open your hearts. Now what this does not mean is that each time you pray, you have to close the door. Now, in the King James Version, in the old translation, the word door is closet. And so what it's not saying is that you go into your room or into your closet to pray. Now, now there was a guy who actually took this seriously. Each time he prayed, he would open up the closet, he would take his torch and his Bible and he would sit in his closet and pray. Now, his family found that strange and weird. They're thinking, what's this guy doing? What is their son doing? And so they, they heard this mumbling from the closet. They opened up the closet and they saw him sitting there. What are you doing, son? He says, I'm praying. I'm praying. And so after a while, the family knew each time he went into the closet, he was praying. And after a while, he didn't have to pray. He could be playing Nintendo and they're thinking he's praying. <laughs> but you see, Jesus is not teaching that. He's not saying you have to close the door, go into the closet. But what, what that story shows, it, it actually defeats a purpose. To pray in secret is to show sincerity. But the guy there, instead of being in secret, is actually making obvious that he's praying by going into the closet. Now, what this is also not saying is that there is no place for public prayer. Now, there is certainly a place for the people of God to be praying together. To be praying, that's a great privilege, and to say amen together. That's the privilege we have. He's not teaching that. But what Jesus is teaching is that what God is interested in when we pray is our hearts. And so the length of our prayer does not actually matter how long you pray for. Praying for hours and hours does not mean you get more of God's attention. What it also means here is that praying the same thing over and over and over again does not mean you can can twist God's arm, you can manipulate God in some way. Now in the Roman Catholic Church, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, But when you commit a sin and you confess to the priest at the confession box that you've sinned, now the priest can say to you, well, you do penance. You say the Our Father ten times and your sins will be forgiven. If you think about that, that's trying to manipulate God into forgiving sins. Manipulate God into doing what that person's praying. If anything, that's a butchering of the Lord's prayer. And so if you think about that, to manipulate God, to try to twist God's arm into doing what I want by my repetition, that's just like the pagans. So look at what Jesus says in verse 7. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so how then are we to pray as Christians? Well, surprisingly or not surprisingly, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples was in fact quite short. I tried it out. It takes me about 10 seconds to pray this prayer. So how do you pray? Well, how you pray is what you pray. You get that? How you pray is what you pray about. And so Jesus teaches us. Verse 9, have a look. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Now when Jesus shared those words, I'm sure they would have been completely shocked by that. You see, for a Jewish person, God was not your father. He was the Lord, Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth. He was transcendent and far. But Jesus says, if you belong to the kingdom of heaven, God is your father. And you can address him as your father. So our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. What that means is to show God glory and reverence and respect that his name will be exalted and honored. Next, your kingdom come. That is God's saving reign. We're praying for God's rule to come. We enter God's kingdom by faith, by becoming a Christian, but this prayer is to pray for the coming of Jesus, the consummation of the kingdom, the reign of God to be seen. And next, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But this is praying that God's will and purposes as it is in heaven will be done on earth through the Christians. So as Christians strive to live, the life that God purposed us for, the life that God wants us to, the life where our righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. If we live that life, we're actually living out God's will. And that's what that prayer is about. Give us today our daily bread. But that's to show our complete and utter dependence on God, physical and spiritual. That's the prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. this is a plea to God for mercy, for forgiveness of my sins, to know that I'm spiritually bankrupt and I depend on him. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, this is an appeal to God to not lead me where there is temptation, to not lead me where there is evil, but lead me the other way, in ways of righteousness. And so that's how we pray. That's how Christians, we should learn to pray. These are the things we pray about with sincerity of heart. And so Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be two-faced. Don't be like actors. Pray with closed doors and open hearts. You see, the things that we get impressed by are not necessarily the things that impress God because God looks at the heart. Now, finally, Jesus speaks about fasting. Are Christians meant to fast? Have you ever thought about that? Are Christians meant to do that? fasting what do you think well you see fasting is in fact not mandated of christians christians actually are not required to fast but there is nothing wrong with fasting so do you get that difference we're not mandated to fast but yet there is nothing wrong with fasting but you see for a jewish person it was different they had special fast days special festivals in their jewish calendar for fasting and the Pharisees—they were all about fasting. They fasted twice a day on Monday and on Thursdays. And when they fasted, they made sure everyone knew about it. But you see, the fasting that God desires is not often; sh- it's never the show—the one we show to see, show to others that we're fasting. In Isaiah chapter fifty-eight, God was in fact not pleased with the fasting of His people—not pleased at all. You see, they put on sackcloth, they put on ashes, they looked depressed. They were fasting, but it was all show. The fasting that God wants, the fasting that God desires, is from the heart. And so what fasting can Christians do? So I have to think about this because often Christians do not think too much about fasting. Well, three main reasons why Christians would fast. Firstly, fasting so that you can feed the hungry. Fasting so that you can feed and provide for those who do not have Now, there are missionaries in uh, southern India. They lived in this community. They were extremely poor, very poor. And so what these missionaries did was they ate every second day. They fasted every second day. Now, they they had enough money to eat every day. They could have done that. But for the sake of the community, they fasted so that they could provide and feed the hungry. That is genuine fasting. Another reason why else might Christians fast Well, we can learn from Paul, fasting because you recognize your spiritual bankruptcy. You see, when Paul was confronted by Christ on the road to Damascus, he was humbled before God. He was overwhelmed by his sin. He was sick to the stomach that he would treat Christ that way. And he fasted. He fasted for a couple of days, and that was a sign of his repentance. So you get that difference? Christians can fast for those reasons but not mandated to. But ultimately, the fasting that God wants of his people is to fast from sin. Stop sinning. That is what God wants. You fast from sinning. Now, some people have thought about fasting and applied this in different ways. Some people fast by giving up meat on Fridays. Or people fast by giving up chocolate for Lent. Or people fast by not having ice cream for a week. Now, think about that. If you were to do that, yeah, sounds like a good thing, you might lose some weight. Doesn't make you any more spiritual. Does not make you any more spiritual at all. You see, to think that by giving up food I'm being more spiritual and I can manipulate God in some way to do what I like, that's not on. And look at look at now verse sixteen. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. That is, just look normal. Don't let anyone know. So we read on. And so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, for the Pharisees, what was meant to be uh, a Jewish act of humiliation, of humility before God, became an act of self-righteousness, self-display, look at me. I am sad today because I'm fasting. So the Pharisees, they've butchered that again. So what does Jesus say? Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be two-faced. Don't be an actor. Things that impress us do not necessarily impress God. And so now let's think about what Jesus teach uh, has taught today. When you give, give and then forget it. Don't give for the purpose of impressing others. Give and forget. When you pray, pray secretly. Pray in private. Open your hearts. Close the door. Pray to God, not for others, not to others. And if you fast, well, fast in secrecy. No one actually needs to know. No one at all. Now, do you actually notice the common thread throughout those three? What's common? How do you genuinely and sincerely give? pray and fast. Well, the common thread is that it all is done secretly. It's all secret. Now, Don Carson, he puts it this way. If our acts of righteousness are not primarily done secretly before him, then secretly they may be done to please men. And so what are we to do? I want you to remember this tagline from Philip Jensen. That's a great one. Secrecy safeguards sincerity. If you want to be sincere in your giving, in your prayer, in your fasting, you safeguard that by being secret about it. No one needs to know. No one needs to be impressed by that because if anyone is impressed by your prayer, by your giving, by your fasting, that is your reward in full. And so Jesus warns in our passage, do not be seduced by hypocrisy. It's seductive. Hypocrisy is alive and well in our churches today. The guy who is up front, who's preaching charismatically, praying eloquently, who reads the Bible with perfect rhythm, that's impressive. We can be impressed by that. And that is what we want anyway, but we can be impressed by that. By the churches that are, that are filled with pomp and ceremony, that can be impressive. You know, ministers who are wearing the surplice, the gown. Have you seen that before? Ministers who wear dog collars, there's nothing wrong with it, but it can be impressive. It looks reverent, looks holy. But remember, God is interested in what happens on the inside. I remember preaching at a church, a particular church, and they have this strange tradition. The, the minister and the service leader actually walks down the middle of the church at the beginning of the service, like a procession, almost like getting married. I found that very strange it had all the appearance of reverence had all the appearance of righteousness it could all be sham it could all be hypocrisy and so don't be seduced by things that are impressive because sincere religion sincere religion if you think about it lacks flair it lacks flamboyance it lacks exhibition it lacks show it can actually be quite dull sincerity can be actually quite dull so the one who reads the Bible and, and stumbles, the one who prays and, and prays with this ochre accent, the one who preaches the word of God faithfully but not charismatically, if they all do that with a sincere heart, that is sincerity, that is genuine, but it's dull, isn't it? But you see, God is interested on what happens on the inside, in the heart. Do not be seduced by hypocrisy. Sincerity, safeguards, secrecy, safeguards, sincerity. So remember those three words. But now there's a warning. Our human heart is actually quite deceptive. I want to remind us this. It's deceiving, it's deluding, it's devious. You know, we might be doing acts of righteousness, not to please others, but secretly we could be trying to please ourselves. We could be becoming our own audience, Now, Bonhoeffer said this, and I found this profound. I can lay on a very nice show for myself, even in the privacy of my own room. Now, what Bonhoeffer was saying was it's not you putting on a show by dancing in front of the mirror and impressing yourself that way. I'll find that quite disgusting if I did that. (laughs) But he's saying you can impress yourself by your own acts of righteousness. I'm so great, aren't I? No one knows. I kept a secret. But I can actually be proud for being not proud. I can actually be proud of myself for being humble. The heart is deceptive. The heart is devious. And so Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites, the undercover hypocrites, the two-faced, the actor. Finally, we want to remember this. God is actually perceptive. God sees everything. Nothing is hidden from his eyes at all. If anything, all our Christian acts of righteousness, all our Christian service, should only have the audience of one. We are there for God and for his glory, serving him alone, not impressing others, not even impressing ourselves. We are to be God-pleasers, not men-pleasers. Now, last week, those of you who were here, you will probably remember that, Last week, I was assessed by the presbytery, so there are a whole bunch of ministers and elders from other churches coming to hear me speak. Now, there was a temptation, big temptation. I, I knew that they were coming several weeks beforehand, but I remember I had to search my heart. I had to consciously decide I would not spend any more time on that sermon than any others. I had to search my heart. I had to avoid being tempted to think that that has to be my best sermon ever. I had to search my heart and I had to say, I'm not going to change the Bible passage to an easier one, one I preached on before. I had to search my heart and i say, I'm not going to advertise this. Didn't tell anyone. I didn't say, come and listen to me being assessed by men. You see, I had to search my heart to make sure that I'm serving God by serving God, not impressing people, not impressing men. And so that's what I try to do each week. But even telling you this, I actually have to search my heart again, that I'm not telling you that to impress you or to impress myself. And I actually wonder with this assessment thing, I wonder whether they work better if they just come unannounced. I reckon that's better for the candidates and their hearts anyway. So how are we here at St. Stephen's, Surrey Hills? How are we going in our acts of righteousness? Are they for the purpose of impressing others? Are they for the purpose of impressing ourselves? Who is the audience? Do we actually perform better in music, in Sunday school, in youth group, at welcoming when people are looking over our shoulders? Or do we remember that God is always watching? God is always there and he is our audience. We serve him alone. Now, just imagine what a shame it would be. In fact, what a sham it would be if on the day Christ returns at the gates of heaven, we said to Jesus, Jesus, Lord, look how generously I gave throughout my life. Jesus, Lord, look how wonderfully I prayed. Jesus, Lord, look how often I fasted. And for Jesus to turn back to us and to say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. What a shame that will be. What a sham that will be. That's hypocrisy. And so let us all here not try to deceive anyone. Let us all here not deceive ourselves. For God cannot be deceived. Now let's pray. But let us today pray together the Lord's Prayer. Now I've got this up here. And so let me encourage you, if you're willing, to pray along with me. So out loud.